Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Disclaimer. This recording is not intended to be utilized as medical advice or a medical diagnosis. If you think you're in need of medical attention or treatment, please seek it immediately. This recording will also contain sensitive subjects such as binging and purging, weight and depression. Please listen at your own discretion and do what you think is best for you. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast. Today we have on a special guest, one that has been on many a times before, and I've collabed with him before, but yours truly, Marcus Kane, is joining me on the podcast today. Marcus is the host of the Strong Not Starving podcast, and he also struggled with binge eating for a long time amongst doing other things like being a rock star musician and all this other stuff and being a trainer. Um, But he made a post uh, weeks or months ago at this point um, about a shameful experience he had during his eating disorder days or even past his eating disorder days with food. And it got me thinking about my traumatic stories. I had some of the most pivotal moments that I had with my eating disorder that were filled with a lot of shame. So we started talking and we sent messages back and forth about how we should totally do a podcast episode about trauma dumping about our (laughs) eating disorder stories. So that's what this is. And it it was fun to just rehash all of that, but we also learned a lot of lessons about why certain moments like that happened and reviewing them with each other, talking about honesty and shame that comes up with it, what we could have done differently, what we wish we knew. We talk about things like buffet binge eating or binge eating at work, um, having those moments where being confronted about what's going on, stealing food from your roommates or um, you know, grocery stores, that sort of stuff, and just many specific moments and eating food instead of spending time with your loved ones. So it was a great episode. So many gems. Listen to it all the way through. Listen to it again. And also there's an episode, the same episode is on Marcus's podcast. If you have not listened to the Strong Not Starving podcast, go check it out. I was re-listening to a few of his episodes this week, just kind of keeping up to date with what's going on, but I love them. He's so much to offer and his perspective. We have a lot of crossover in what we do, but the way he explains it is always enlightening. Uh, so I'd highly recommend you check out his podcast and his resources and his coaching. He just offers so much wisdom to the world. So I hope you enjoy our collaboration. And um, if you like it, give this podcast a rating and review. Also, it helps us out, helps me out, helps Marcus out, all those things. And I hope you get some value from this episode. And at the very least, it makes you feel not so alone. All right. Enjoy. Okay, guys. Hello, we're here. I'm with Marcus Kane. Hi, Marcus. What up? Hey. <laughs> and then, uh, and then it's me, obviously. And we're doing a collab, but we're talking about we're trading memories of our worst moments with Bolivia and binge eating, and seeing what we learn from it. We're just trauma dumping with each other. So, anyway, Marcus, continue with what you were saying. So, yeah, I think I can remember three different times or three different situations that really made me kind of face palm with myself and just be like, oh, dude, come on, like, really? Um, when I was struggling struggling with bulimia and um, binge eating disorder, there was obviously very, very regular occurrences of that just garden variety binge eating where, you know, yes. I'd, I'd go <laughs> I'd go to every, we all know what that is. I'd go to uh, 7-Eleven, spend like 50 bucks on a bag of nothing that was going to make me feel good go home 
eat it while telling myself this is the last time <laughs> and and yeah and hate myself and then rinse and repeat for two three maybe four days after that would happen a lot but I made a post the other day about uh something that I'll I'll save for for last after I've talked about a couple of things but it was probably the most shameful moments that I yeah. had while struggling with my relationship with food and ironically it was kind of on my way to recovery I was no longer struggling with like massive you know three four day binge eating episodes anymore I was on my way out of struggling with um, eating disorders and I found myself working a job that I didn't want to be working that I hated and it pushed me over to the edge back into some kind of habits that just made me hate myself a little bit and the circumstances around them uh, just made me kind of hate myself a little bit but the the you know, other job that you hate I see that a lot and I know that we all have different financial situations and some people they don't have the luxury to just up and leave but I said this on another podcast and I'll say it again offering people a rebellious thought that you can just change that situation you don't have to keep on working at it you can figure something else out and sometimes walking out or making a drastic change in a career that you hate will significantly help your mental health 100 percent. even if it's not a change that we can make like overnight yeah. like putting things in place waking up every day and this was part of what i had to do in this situation like putting things in place waking up every day going like okay Today, I'm taking another step towards changing my job situation. The actual job might not change immediately. It's not like we can wake up one morning, go, ah, oh, I hate this. And then the very next day, have our entire professional situation changed. But something that definitely helped me through that process was just going to bed every night, knowing that today I took another step towards this situation being very different and just kind of really holding on to that being like okay I can go to bed proud of myself tonight because and I don't want to put you know conditional approval but I right yeah, on ourselves balance, but right? it's like yeah you should reward like, yourself for doing things that you're you think are helpful to your life right 100 so this was where I was like you know I'm extra proud of myself today because I took a step towards changing this situation but Nice. that that situation like aside I'll get back to that a bit later the, the the first one that I can remember like the earliest one that I can remember where I was just like oh come on dude like really my first flatmate he couldn't keep ice cream in our fucking apartment oh, no. because yeah. like I would I I would eat it and I would hate myself and I'd be like fuck I ate all his ice cream okay okay I'm going to go and replace it and I would go and buy more and then the oh, new no. tub would the new tub would be sitting in the freezer and I'd be like oh my god there's a tub of ice cream in the freezer and then I would eat that too and I'd be like oh god damn it and yeah. you know we were like guys in our early 20s he had no idea what an eating disorder was like I barely knew what an eating disorder was right. and to him it was just he was a lovely guy as well he didn't want to say anything so he was just like okay um 
<laughs> I guess that's fine. And I, I was my roommate Wolf. Because yeah, I can see with dudes early twenties, like it's a little bit more understandable to eat the entire time. It's not normal, but you're like oh, having a moment. Uh yeah, sure. It wouldn't happen as often in a a girl's roommate situation. Uh, yeah, but it, it was just the the fact that I felt like I was stealing his food. Yeah. And and that I I would replace it and then eat the the food that I replaced and I was just like oh fuck but Do yeah that, that was um I have similar memories because I think those embarrassing moments for me the the reasons for them changed and so this one sounds like it was more of a scarcity issue of why you were obsessed with ice cream versus the other one you're going to share is more like an emotional reason obviously there's emotional reasons to ice cream too this one seems very much like urgency this ice cream is amazing and i can never have it again sort of scenario 100 i was working um i was working at a gym at the time i worked at a lot of gyms but i was very much trying to be super lean constantly all the time forever okay. i was uh underweight and yeah i i was just maintaining this ridiculously strict diet like I was again I was super young super unorganized with food wasn't nourishing myself properly and I was also restricting from like a I'm trying to have visible abs situation so you're 100% correct like yeah. it was this thing that was just driven by scarcity the, the brand of energy that was surrounding that situation was just pure scarcity yeah, like, oh my God, it's ice cream. I'm never allowed to have that. Yeah, when you were yeah. underweight, did you think uh did you think you were fat or that you were unattractive or something? Yeah, I was like <laughs> I I never I never saw myself as being lean enough. Like it was Crazy. always comparing myself to the, you know, the guys on the cover of men's health and people who were in films or preparing for bodybuilding competitions or something like that. And I was walking around like just regular everyday guy lean and by like quote normal people standards yeah i had visible abs and all that shit um i uh but it yeah it, it just didn't compare to what i was seeing in in the media and in pictures and everything like that so that was my measuring stick and when i couldn't look the way like when i couldn't look in the mirror and see the same thing that i was seeing on the cover of men's health magazine Mm -hmm. I was not good enough. So that 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 drove that. Yeah, it's a side tangent. I'll get back to like the memory thing, but it's it's appalling. I know we all like to take good photos and everything, and I'm not saying we should all just post the most unflattering photos ever, but what they do and then try to make it seem like that's reasonable or that's just they just wake up looking like that. It's it fucks with people's heads. And I love seeing pictures of those celebrities you know they're photoshopped whatever and then seeing them in candid real life not because they should feel bad or ashamed of how they look in real life it's like yeah they're a real person and when they're not done up or whatever and like tapes here and all that sort of stuff they don't look like that but mm. um anyway i the the ice cream thing i remember that too so i would and especially our senior year of college my roommate uh she she was going through her own stuff and she also was struggling with restrictive eating because of this abusive rela relationship she was in. And it wasn't purposeful. She just couldn't eat. She was so stressed all the time, but she'd always have tons of leftover food. And I would always like, I would just take little bites of it 
Um, and then be like, no, I'm not, she won't notice. Um, but like, I shouldn't do it. So I felt really bad about that. Um, and it for sure, the same thing came from scarcity. So I was, I had lost a lot of weight in a short amount of time and didn't know how to cope. And like, everything was off limits. I was only eating like frozen bags of vegetables. So when she had things like pesto or I don't know, she was gluten-free too, but like gluten-free pastries around, I'm like, oh, I have to have this, you know? Um, but she just didn't. And the bad part about it was that she wasn't really eating much of it. So she didn't notice um, or she didn't care enough to really call me out on it. So I try to replace it sometimes, but it felt, it felt terrible um because it's like you have no self-control you're stealing someone's food and yeah what's wrong with you basically but yeah. scarcity was the cause that level of self-control that we sometimes expected ourselves to have like you're saying living off like frozen bags of vegetables obviously in hindsight we can be like well it's it's totally unreasonable to expect a human in 2023 in this food environment to exist being happy on that food mm -hmm. but what do you feel led you to the the belief that like i should be able to be just happy with this like this should be all i i need was that ever a conscious thought or yeah how did that how did that work for you what was the mechanism there yeah i had been given dieting advice advice that i should for the rest of my life expect to eat somewhere around a certain calorie limit like in mm. a, a weight loss calorie limit i'm not going to share the number but it's pretty low and like that i would just reach that and that i would have to be stuck at that amount of calories for the rest of my life to be able to maintain the weight i had achieved and of course you know if you are going to be if you're going to lose weight you are going to eat less than what you did at a higher weight but there are things you can do to kind of get used to eating a little bit more food and, and be more reasonable but then it was combined with that dieting advice um, and then also not understanding how to, I, I don't know, not understanding how to have food diversity or include moderating portions in that and having fun foods in that. It was just like the only way I can feel full on this amount of calories is to eat as high volume as possible. And the only way I knew how to do that was like vegetables and massive salads, right? And, and cans of tuna fish. So it really, um, it was just misinformation, I think, and poor advice that led me to feel like, okay, well, if this is the only option and this is what works, this is what we have to do. And really, there was a whole world of other options out there that could have been more, much healthier. It's one that we see so often through diet industry, fitness industry, propaganda. It's like that whole, just eat food that's like low calorie, but high volume. And it's mm -hmm. one of those things that when we first hear that on paper, it's like, oh, oh, of course, that's the answer. Like, that makes so much sense. But in practice, after doing that for a period of time, you're like, why is there no joy in my life? Like, why do I? <laughs> well, why does everything suck? Yeah. Have you ever had uh, COVID before and lost your taste? No, I I just like dodged that shit like the Matrix. I I got Good through <laughs> the whole COVID situation like, um, yeah, That's I did insane. okay. <laughs> well, I had a COVID one time in Florida, and the reason I'm bringing it up is because I lost my taste, and it was all of a sudden I could only the only thing I ate really was smoothies because it tasted sweet at the very least. Like I could taste 
uh, sugar and salt, everything else was gone. Um, but I'm, I was like, wow, I feel a lot less happy. Like there's no, and it was odd looking at food and being like, it's going to taste disgusting. I can't eat anything wow. and I can't feel joy from food. And you shouldn't have all of your joy from food. That's not what you're saying, but it is a major component of life. It's like, this is depressing. This is really sad. <laughs> I can't enjoy yeah. this. It's funny because one of the most troubling memories I have from when I was a kid, like I had a, a really destructive relationship with food from very, very early on. So Interesting. this, this, uh, there was a lot of, a lot of restriction, a, a lot of things off limits in the name of health. Like this is bad for you. That's bad for you, whatever. And so I remember getting certain foods was this huge deal. Like if I got um, a packet of something like a packet of crisps or like a chocolate or whatever, uh, it was a huge deal. So well, there was one time that I remember that I got sick and I lost my sense of like things didn't taste right. And I got given a packet of these things called twisties. Like they're they're in Australia, like they they're these cheesy kind of crunchy things that are just okay. made from made from actual joy. And I remember <laughs> I remember biting into this this twisty and trying to eat it. And because food held such a big place in my life at that, it, it like, I remember it didn't taste right. And there was something about that that I still remember so vividly, because clearly, the experience of tasting something and, and, and having it kind of let me down, and, and not experience that taste, it was like, I don't want to use the word traumatic because that's ridiculous, but the, the no, visceral it's a little tea. <laughs> well, the, the like the the just the 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 visceral experience of like trying to eat something and not have it taste the way that I needed it to at that point. It was amazing. So, you know It's a loss of a sense, right? You just imagine yeah, people imagine it all the time, but suddenly you can do something and then it's gone. And then it held such value to you, especially if you there was only minimal amounts of times you could access that joy and then the one time you get it you can't enjoy it that's awful especially as a little kid too yeah well it's 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 funny just you know what you said about like covid just then and like how important it is to make space for food to be an enjoyable thing because on paper it's very easy to go okay calorie deficit healthy food all this kind of stuff and we don't see taste as being like an essential thing. Sometimes it's very easy to go down that rabbit hole and, and think I know I did at least like I'm only going to eat things that are good for me. I'm only mm -hmm. going to eat things that are in line with my goals. And we underestimate the impact that being able to just enjoy food has on our overall wellness. Yeah. No, it's a big component of it. I think when people always ask me, because they're trying to figure out how to intuitively eat and how to monitor their body signals. And they're like, well, I, how do you know when you're satisfied? And I think satisfaction, it's based on so many things. It's not just, am I full or not? It's, did that actually hit your craving, right? Did that taste good to you? Was it satisfying in that sense? And, you know, did it look appealing? Did it smell appealing? Was it the texture and flavor that you wanted? All those things. So yeah, I, people, 
people are wondering why when they're eating volume stuff, it's like, I'm not satisfied yet. It's like, yeah, you're missing essential things, probably missing micronutrients and all that sort of diversity too. But also sometimes your body wants certain flavors for a reason, right? And it's it's good to honor that, at least at a reasonable level. Of course, you shouldn't mm. have, I don't know, crack cocaine candy all the time, but <laughs> uh, still. <laughs> God, what a way to start the day though. Yeah, I know, I know. I had a little bit of... um we had some leftover cookies. So this morning I definitely like the first thing I ate was a cookie. It's like, this, whatever, you know, <laughs> it's fine, <laughs> but sometimes it's good. Well, speaking of starting the day, that actually leads me to like another, uh, habit that I had or, or something that I used to do when I was struggling with binge eating that just made me go, oh, dude, what the hell? Um, when I used to have to travel for work a lot, like when I was working with a band and when I was doing that full time, we were constantly in hotels. Some of them were really nice. And whenever we'd stay in a really nice hotel with a, a really good breakfast buffet, I found it impossible not to binge eat at the breakfast buffet. Like mm. it was like I'd I'd walk into the breakfast buffet and there'd just be like there'd be the like all the savory stuff all the really nice savory stuff like like hash browns and everything there but then there'd be like the waffles and nutella and the pancakes and all that and the pastries and everything and i spoke about this once on um just on an instagram reel and i got a bunch of comments that were essentially like yeah don't talk shit people don't binge eat in public like we do this in in secret i'm like no that's a common my, thing to eat in public but binge eating i'm in like public. yeah motherfucker then what was this about because yeah, yeah. Like, i would <laughs> yeah. i would literally I'd, I'd hate myself so much because i was meant to be you know in a band and doing all this cool stuff and that that image of like the really lean rock star type kind of person was always in my mind um I was meant to live on you know alcohol and enthusiasm and here I was at the breakfast buffet for like hours just oh. eating everything like un unable to get up and leave and I, no matter how many times we had breakfast buffets you I, I would have thought dude you're gonna get sick of this eventually you're gonna get acclimatized to this eventually like just just take it easy did your, the band members pick up on it did you do it with them or because i'm sure they didn't sit with you for hours while you were eating they probably left at no <laughs> no they they would they would take off and do their own thing um so no one, that was your thing yeah like but because again because i gave the impression of being a quote healthy person i would always right. be try trying to find a way to go for a run on tour like and i'd be using the hotel gyms and everything like that they'll be like oh you know marcus he exercises so you know he's got a big appetite so they would just be like oh, that i guess that's what someone who exercises a lot does no yeah no that was <laughs> fucked up <laughs> yeah no I remember one time I was at a like school event um, in college. It was like, uh, yeah, we were giving presentations on this big project and I brought my lunch. They had lunch provided, but of course I couldn't eat their lunch. So I had like this weird like, mushroom thing prepared. 
And I remember one of the other dudes in our class who also went to my gym. So he knew I worked out a lot and then also noticed the weight loss. And he saw me eating that. He's like, you're really into this health and fitness thing. And I was like, yeah, I am, you know, and the thing was not normal. It was so, like you said, <laughs> fucked up. And I was like, I'd really love to just be eating what you're eating and not bring this weird Tupperware that I'm going to have to put in my bag. It's probably going to get rank later or something, but no, I'm here and yeah, it's fucked up. And I'm like binging and purging all the time, but yeah, no, it's totally normal. <laughs> so yeah, no, I'm, I'm living the healthy life. Look at yes, me go. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, the buffet God. thing though, I've had, I've never done that, but I have had clients who worked in certain situations where they'd have buffet eating or they have access to a school and a common thing. And then when I was younger, um, early in uh, my past relationship, we would sometimes go to this dining hall while my ex was still in school. And I noticed when I went to the bathroom there, I I totally heard someone uh, purging and I was like, yeah, that makes sense here. You know, you just binge eat a bunch of food and then go do that. And no one's going to know or if they do know, they're not going to say anything. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's so rough. Yeah. Just like we know that this happens, right? Like we know that people are struggling with this, but to, 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 to see an environment that almost encourages it um but yeah that that's that's really hard how how did that impact you in that moment when when you were like oh okay so that's that's clearly happening the other side of that story is that i totally went to the bathroom to try to purge too at that mm. moment and then when i heard and i didn't I didn't binge eat, but I ate too much. That was my thing. And I was like, I definitely need to like get rid of these calories. And I was hoping no no one would be in the bathroom, but there was someone there and and uh I knew what they were doing. And it was a kind of a jarring moment of like, what am I doing? I can't. Like this is not okay. And I thought for that person, you know, oh my gosh, you need to stop doing that. But then I was thinking, well, you came in here to do this. What are you saying? So it actually held me accountable and I kind of just use restroom and walked out right and just uh came back but it was it was a moment of being ref the reflection right just right in your face and like we need to do something better um i didn't recover at that point but it was helpful mm. it is like somewhat helpful somewhat really difficult when we experience something that that puts it right in our face that that makes it impossible not to confront the 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 dysfunction of something yeah there was a lot of shame too um because i in that moment could stop but then later still struggling with all those things um and when it comes to eating or binging in public i never did that per se i guess that moment was kind of that but not the same but one of my top embarrassing or just visceral moments was when i would i was i've talked about this in social before I'd had to, I had to go to a conference for work and it was about an hour drive. I left early, but then I stopped by the grocery store early in the morning and like to grab, grab breakfast. Right. But it ended up not being breakfast. They had bulk bins and I grabbed food from the bulk bins and then was binging on the way there. And then I uh, stopped by a grocery store to purge, which was just insane. And then leaving that grocery store, and seeing, I caught eyes with one of the workers, and this was 
I didn't know if it was these are seven or eight in the morning. It was very early in the morning and catching eye contact and my eyes were kind of bloodshot, all these things. And just, I, I just felt such shame of, and, and the moment of like, what are you doing? It's not even nine o'clock. It's not even eight o'clock, whatever. You're on your way to a conference for work and you're doing mm. this. Like, what is wrong with you? Um, and in that moment, it really wasn't scarcity. It was more like an emotional reason I was eating. I was just nervous and had anxiety, um, like to no end, but didn't know how to deal with it um, other than eating food. That's really rough. I'm yeah. sorry you had that experience, dude. Like it's okay. It's, you know, <laughs> well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like we're in good company, but the um, it it can be really difficult when these things pop up surrounding work it's there there are different different things at different times and like a different brand of challenges different brand of energies kind of showing up to make different situations difficult but experiencing like uncontrollable eating or binging and purging while needing to work or while being at work, or while being on your way to work, like being in a situation where you still need to show up and engage with people and pretend that everything's fine, that uh, that's a really rough one. Um, yeah, it, and you this feel wasn't guilty, but go ahead. Sorry. Yeah, I was just gonna this this hadn't thought about it this in years. It wasn't gonna be something I was gonna mention today, but you just reminded me the first cafe I ever worked at. Uh, it was, you know, like cafe, like there was a lot of milkshakes and, and dishes that involved like melted chocolate. We would melt big uh, kind of jugs of chocolate and cover the coffee spoons in chocolate. Oh, nice. So if everyone who got a coffee had like a chocolate spoon come with it and everything. And I remember being in charge of like covering no. the spoons in the <laughs> chocolate and yeah. <laughs> it, it it would just I would keep a separate spoon off to the side like I would have this row of like clean spoons so I wasn't yeah. double dipping ironically like hygiene was a big priority for me then like I wasn't I, I like I was that makes sense you don't want to hurt other I would, people I know I, I <laughs> just was, yourself yeah I was doing myself a lot of damage but I wasn't going to double dip a spoon that I was then using for something that I was making for other people so at least I was considerate I guess but it 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 became this disaster of just eating melted chocolate by the cup full like yeah yeah, it, it was that feels and, awful because you're on the clock too and it's the product it's a company's resource right and you're eating it it's i'm sure that felt just like a massive identity crisis and guilty yeah the 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 irony there was that the owners of that cafe two really lovely guys and one of them was the, the first person ever to notice that I was in a bad I was about 16 at the time he was the this was the first experience I ever had of someone noticing I was in a bad way Mm. he said to me like oh can you stay for a minute after work and I was like fuck I'm gonna be in trouble and this dude like he had struggled with an eating disorder Uh and 
he sat me down for a minute after work and he was like, how you doing? And it, it like, I, I had no idea how to receive it because it was my first ever experience of someone genuinely asking me like, how are you doing? And then leaving space for me to reply, honestly. Yeah. Um, like that, that was. Did you admit anything in that point or did you just deny? I think I alluded to it. I was honest about, you know, that I wasn't doing so good. But I don't think I knew enough about what I was experiencing to be able to be specific. Yeah, that's why sometimes it's helpful for people to ask you specific questions or to talk to someone who knows so they can kind of not pull it out of you. But if if you're consenting to, hey, I want to talk about this, I don't know how, then they can ask the right questions, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, man, I can just imagine, I mean, especially as a 16 year old, you're just in total denial and anything that you anything that's not basic conversation with adults as a 16 year old, you're like, I don't want to talk about this with you. So to then <laughs> have someone kind of call that out and even just a kind way and then never you've never been asked about it before. I think that's one of the isolating parts about eating disorders, actually, is so many people don't know or mm. you think maybe they know when they just don't say anything. And why don't they say anything? Because I think for me, it was like, you people have to know, but they just don't say anything. And I kind of wanted them to, at the same time, I didn't, but it felt like they're not saying anything because they don't care, you know, um, like they're just okay with this, right? Which wasn't true, but I think sometimes people get that thought in their head. Yeah, it's it's really easy to feel that way. I completely understand that the, the feeling as well, like feeling like, okay, no one's asking me about this. No one's checking in with me. They mustn't care, but and yeah, I think the reality of that, like they they might notice, they might care, but they're like, I have no idea how to even figure. Like, what do I like? Where? What? What do I say? What do I begin? Like, yeah, yeah. It's not that they don't care; they just don't know how. And so then the way that they cope with that is just like, I'm not going to ask. Um, I'll just I'll just be there for them, but not say anything. And that's where the relationships deteriorate. And it's so it's such a human thing to do. But uh, there's an episode I did a while back that was like how to communicate with family members or something, or like how to help your loved ones with bulimia. But like asking someone that you think you suspect is struggling with the eating disorder, first of all, accept the understanding they might not be receptive at all. But like just really coming to like, hey, what do you need? You know, I'm not here to talk to you, but just what can I do for you during this time is more mm -hmm. approachable than like, you need to stop or are you broken or all those things. That's an incredible thing to do for an episode because yeah, we're always talking about this from the perspective of the person experiencing it, but like, oh my God, what a resource. Yeah, like, I, it was a while ago. I should probably make a new one um because I'm sure I've learned things since then. But yeah, because people, I'll, I don't know, this work a very enough topic. I have other embarrassing memories. But, um, <laughs> if people sometimes reach out to me that aren't the, the ones struggling with bulimia or binge eating, it's a family member, right? Yes. What, mm -hmm. like, I hate to digress, but I'm Fine. really curious about how you handle those conversations because obviously I get those ones as well usually uh when people contact me in that position it's my husband or my son is in a bad place and I have no idea how to talk to him I don't know what 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 do I do um I'd love to know 
what your experience is of uh, talking to people in that position and, and what you say. Well, they're all different, but I'd say the general themes of what I do is because sometimes it's, you know, how do I talk to them? I'm just asking for advice, but some of them are like, I'd really want them to work with you, but I, I don't know all those things. So sometimes I'll just give them like my podcast and my resources. Like, Hey, if you want to, if you are struggling to talk to them, you might want to listen to a few of these episodes, not because I'm so brilliant, just so you can kind of understand from that perspective. And that might make it easier for you to approach. You can also give them this resource. But then I also tell them, you know, you can't force someone to change. It has to be from them, but like be there for them. Um, let them know that you care and um, be patient as well. And also don't watch them like a hawk or don't, yeah. I don't know, be this person. Because if someone's struggling with something, the worst thing you can do is like every time they eat food, be like, <gasps> you know, my mom would do that when she, when I was struggling with an eating disorder in my early days. And it was just awful you know maybe even more sneaky right so you want to like not be shameful and encouraging and give them support and then open streams of communication so i don't know if they answer your question but those are the things that i usually would say yeah absolutely that answers the question i think the the difficult thing there is like that it has to come from them mm -hmm. like it that that's the really hard part i've had uh most recently someone reached out to me and they were really desperate about their son they're like how do i and like and he is a teenager as well like how do i do this and i was like and they were trying to kind of find ways to almost trick him into talking to me i'm like you can't no you can't do that like it 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 has to come from him uh and he needs to know that you're on his team not that you're trying to trick him you know mm -hmm. yeah in that case they need to have an open conversation with him of here look this i think this would be helpful for you do you want to do it but yeah no they're not going to be receptive to that at all yeah, um and it's a hard thing to watch because you know in your experience and in mine there was recovery advice that would have helped us all along but we weren't ready to hear it yet and we weren't we just if it had come at the wrong time it would have just gone straight over our head and it did but then at some point we were ready to change for various different life experiences and that especially as a parent that's hard to grapple with because it's a helpless position of course do something but sometimes there's just nothing you can do until they're ready mm, yeah unless it's at the point where you know medical intervention right. is like unless they're a like a a, a danger to themselves yeah. And, and, you know, we could go back and forwards about like, at what point is that? And that's a, that's a really tough gig as well. Like deciding uh, in the name of potentially damaging the relationship and damaging the trust at, at what point do you go, right? I'm, I'm taking control here. We, we need medical uh, support. That's a whole so, yeah. ethical discussion and debate that people have. Oh my yes. God. Uh, like it's a I agree. Really I think that it's medical intervention. You care about the person and you don't want them to, get worse than yeah um that's that's a different perspective yes yeah mm -hmm. i'd Anyways. love to know i'd <laughs> love to know a little bit more about uh some more of your situations that that you find yourself reflecting on well the other one when i was talking about the work thing uh is that i would now that i'm saying it about like oh yeah i would the conference happened but I would wake up early a lot because I'm such a morning person, but really I would just binge and purge before work, but I would 
purge at the work bathrooms they get there early and it was a small company so it's like i don't know i remember just being in the bathroom being like what this is disgusting in so many different ways and like people are gonna find out they're gonna know no one ever said anything but it was just i don't know it's the same thing with chocolate spoons like this is this on company time i'm supposed to be working right now they've allowed me to come in early so that i can work and i'm just with my eating disorder um so that's kind of another memory that comes up similar but um stands out to me for sure mm. mm-hmm. the uh the topic of work is is definitely like the one that i've started mentioning before and it it was such a weird one because this situation i hadn't planned on being back working at corporate gyms like i'd i left working in that environment at the end of 2019 but then obviously like 2020 happened and and 2021 was still dicey I had greatly underestimated what was involved and what was necessary in terms of running a business online I thought that I could go straight from just having a full diary of clients in the gym to having a full diary online I thought it must be just exactly the same so (laughs) I I fucked that up like majorly. <clears throat> we all do that though. And, yes. yeah. As I said, want to be entrepreneur, like the, I don't know, have our own businesses and stuff. We that's probably what leads us into it because we're just blindly optimistic, and then we figure <laughs> it out, right? But a lot of people that have a brain are like, "That's not gonna work," but we're like, "It'll work," you know? It'll work absolutely. It. Yeah, but yeah. Like as a result, I found myself like out of the frying pan and into the fire. And in, in 2021, like I started to run out of money in like a really big way and was like, fuck, um, I, I need to go back to working in, in gyms and I needed to keep time available during the day to run my coaching business, uh, and to be available for that. So I took the late shifts at the gym So I was doing all my Instagram stuff and everything like that during the day and then working the late shift at night. And this was very much in that territory of emotional eating rather Mm -hmm. than like really unregulated, difficult to control emotional eating rather than maybe what we could call like textbook definition binge eating. Mm -hmm. But I, I was hating working in corporate gyms again. Um, I was working with a few nice people, no doubt, but the environment itself, I hated, I hated the value system. I hated the way it worked. And then by the end of every day, I'd be finishing at nine, nine thirty PM. I'd be just so tired. And on the way home, the only thing that I looked forward to on any level about my day was stopping at McDonald's on the way home and getting like a big bag of food that I didn't need and spending 30 minutes just eating in the McDonald's car park. And it was what we could call like a subjective binge, like not mm-hmm. a super, super high volume, uh, not, not like a super like large amount of food, but it was enough to feel like I'd overeaten And it wasn't so much that that would make me feel terrible as that my wife would be at home, 
like waiting for me to come home and she would always wait up for me and she would wait up for me with a little plate of something that she made for me for dinner and like I hated myself so much because I was like why the fuck why why the fuck can't I just go home like my wife loves me she's made me food she's waiting there to give me a hug why the fuck can't I just go home and I'd be sitting in the McDonald's car park just like eating because I hated it but also in a weird way it was the only thing about my my work day at that time that I could look forward to because I the the gym environment like I was doing crazy hours and I was so overworked that I would often go and go into like the the janitor's like closet like where all like the cleaning supplies were I would shut the door and turn off the light and put in like noise cancelling headphones mm-hmm. just and and set a timer on my phone for like I was trying to do like sensory deprivation for just like 10-15 minutes because I, I I was trying to regulate my fucking emotions and yeah it, it was it not feeling like I couldn't stop doing that and getting home every night and my wife having waited up for me and like giving me like a sleepy hug and saying you know I made some food for you it's in the fridge and 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 yeah. feeling like I I was too full to eat it but then she's like yeah that that was the last experience I ever had of of like really bad experiences with food that could be considered like disordered and it was really difficult because I was working in the binge eating recovery space at that time and mm-hmm. so I also felt like a massive hypocrite because I was I was no longer like binge eating like uncontrollable amounts of food anymore and eating way past fullness but I was you know trying to navigate that whole food freedom thing but part of it was good food freedom that was helping and then part of it was really dark and I was trying to make sure that it was a positive thing but it it wasn't a streamlined process for me, that whole food freedom thing. And it, it, um, it, it was like a bit of a seesaw and, and this experience of feeling like I was letting my wife down hit me really hard. And, you know, the other ones I can joke about a little bit, but that, that was definitely like, that sucks. It seems like you feel bad about it now a little bit. And maybe I'm wrong about that, but yeah, um, I think that I can see why, you know, especially her making the meal and you've eaten other food. It almost seems like, you know, you're, you're cheating on your wife with food, but that's not what was going on. But I think with emotional eating and stuff like that, uh, I remember many times when my ex was talking to me and I just wanted him to shut up so I could eat food. And it mm. just like feels bad that you prioritize food over someone else. But at the same time, when you told that story, it I was like, man, he sounds like he just needed some time to be with himself, right? And he and 
I don't know, you clearly love your wife, right? And you being in that car didn't mean you didn't love your wife. It just meant you were coping with a lot of awful things. And that was the only thing that brought you comfort during the day. It doesn't justify mm. everything, but I don't know. For me, it doesn't seem like, I'm not trying to minimize it. It doesn't seem like you were a monster or anything or that you were doing anything horrible, you know? Yeah, I appreciate that, dude. Like, yeah. in in hindsight, I can deal with it much better. I can think, you know, really, like, I, I wanted to rid myself of my work energy in any way I could before I got home and saw my wife. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't want to walk through the door and just be like, I hate every moment of my day. Like, I, yeah. I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to walk through the door and see her smile and come to give me a hug and that energy be all I have to give her at that time like I wanted to be like I wanted to I wanted to arrive home somewhat cleansed somewhat able to just be like hey sweetheart I missed you heaps um let's go to bed like so yeah I can I can look at it from you know much clearer in hindsight but in that moment uh in in the moment it was like uh, I would I was just hating myself yeah it feels it feels dishonest and I you know something that helped me was whatever I eat I need to be honest about it because even though it's not binging and purging anymore mm-hmm. I felt like secret eating was kind of a gateway to yeah uh, that sort of behavior and and there was no reason to lie like I don't know if like maybe if you just told her like hey I'm gonna have McDonald's for 30 minutes before I come home and it just really makes me feel good right now totally different situation right <laughs> so you'd be like yeah. okay you know like of course hindsight 20 is funny but it wouldn't when you lie about something even if it doesn't matter it feels terrible mm. it's just something about it i think that's a really good thing to keep in mind like what you just said about secret eating mm-hmm. especially while navigating like the whole food freedom thing and abundance and all that I don't know how you feel about this, but I've still found it helpful to have like one or two, not foods, but circumstances that are a hard no for me. Mm -hmm. So it's like any food is allowed, that's fine. But if I find myself feeling like I need to eat something in secret, that is a no because there's yeah, there's some there's some, yeah like there's something about that situation that is like yeah like you said unless i can be honest about this there's something not 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 right about it doesn't mean that the food itself is evil or that i can't have this particular food another time but secret eating is a hard no for me yeah no i i like there's a post i made a while ago like i think in 2020 2021 where I talked about abstinence from behaviors, not food. And nice. yeah, purging is one of those where it's like, I just can't do that ever again. Um, yeah. Unless I've been poisoned, no. Uh, and then, yeah, the, it's not like all emotionally eats and that's gotten less and less as time's gone on. But you know, you when you said in 2021, you were struggling with that and then you were um, trying to help people with binge eating. I can understand feeling like a hypocrite, right? But I think most coaches, that are in the eating disorder realm or the food realm totally have times where they emotionally eat 
and I still like they're farther and fewer between, but they're they happen, you know, to me too. It's mm. not your human being. And I think sometimes coping with food is okay too. But um, mm. and you have to define it. But I think one of the scenarios for me is when when there's something mechanical about it. So I'll be eating, and especially if I'm feeling more emotional. But if I start eating and like something about how I'm eating it becomes robotic and mechanical then it's a hard no. Like uh, in 2021, I think I was eating some ice cream and I just grabbed, you know, like a savage. I just grabbed the, the tub of ice cream. This is my <laughs> ice cream. And it was one of those ice cream, there's chunks in it. And I actually haven't done this in a long time, but something I would always do is I'd pick out the like chunks of whatever it was, the chocolate. And then I started doing that. And I was also listening to something. I was listening to a podcast or whatever. And I had the computer and screen in front of me because I was supposed to be working. And I was just mechanically picking out the chunks of chocolate or whatever. And then I noticed that my speed started to increase of like, yeah. and I was like, oh my gosh. So I just like put the ice cream down and took the headphones out. Like this feels wrong and it feels weird. Um, and I also, um, this is, I don't know why I'm just telling you all this, but I struggle with Raynaud's, which is kind of a circulatory thing. So under stress or cold temperatures, um, my fingers would just turn bone white, like the circulation would just get cut off. <laughs> so uh, whenever I was binging, sometimes I would get Raynaud's attacks in my hands because um, I'd be yeah. so stressed. But during that moment, when I stopped, like my fingers started turning white. And I think it was just like the nervousness. So whenever I'm nervous, feeling mechanical, I cannot do that. It seems too close to binging, I think leads to binging. That's a incredible level of self-awareness with that uh, I, yeah, I, but, I suppose but I, I love that principle or that philosophy of like um abstinence from behaviors is that what you called it like yes. that that is absolutely awesome um I'm gonna steal that straight okay, up okay go for it <laughs> maybe I'll make a podcast about it I'll look up the post and just read it um so uh, I think we're yeah. recycling some content. Yeah. I think I've definitely spoken about that with people and definitely talked about it, but didn't have the, uh, didn't have the presence of mind to name it something so eloquent, but that mm -hmm. whole situation, it's like, yeah, these foods are allowed, but under what circumstances are mm -hmm. things a hard? No. Um, one of my clients the other day was talking about, we were talking about this exact thing. So trying to come up with a bit of an idea with different situations like the things that i sometimes allow myself to do the things that i rarely do and the things that i never do and we were looking at the different situations not the foods but the situations that are like sometimes rarely never and in the um in the never column there was some stuff like I'm never going to essentially binge or eat with food that's not mine. Like that, that was, that was okay. something never like, and it was all stuff like eating in secret and like anything that makes me feel like I need to hide the evidence, like go full fucking like Tony Soprano and bury the evidence in the woods. Like none of that. Yeah. Um, no um, eating food that's, you know, not mine, unless I feel that I can ask someone, hey, can I have some of that? Like, so there are some some ways to to work with this kind of thing and, and to create some boundaries without going in 
to what we could call dietary restriction, I guess. Yeah, I like asking people when is something okay and when is it not. So yeah, like, a lot of people, they don't want to think about food all the time. But you still have to think about food to figure out mm. your diet, right, and eat. So I'm like, okay, well, when is it? when does it feel good to think about food? When does it not? And like constantly overthinking, constantly like thinking about when the next meal is going to be over planning it or whatever um that doesn't feel good but yeah when you're going to the grocery store you got to think about food when you're eating a meal you got to think about food so yeah that's another way to look at it too is when is it okay with you like you're saying when is it not and then having those parameters and you might blur the lines a little bit but i think as you keep practicing and keep bringing awareness to it it'll get easier and easier to recognize it earlier and earlier mm. like maybe it's something to wrap up like what would you what would your message be for for anyone who's listening who's finding themselves regularly doing something that they might be a bit ashamed of might be finding like oh, you know what the hell yeah that's what a good question to wrap it up i'm always so eloquent marcus um i think i have a few things to say one we all do shameful shit that happens so um i didn't ask and do you curse on your podcast am i oh absolutely okay yeah, good yeah constantly awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay yeah we all do shameful shit and um a lot of people have something right and we all do things we aren't proud of it doesn't justify it it just means that you're not the only one in the world doing something you think is extremely embarrassing uh disgusting or like you're the worst person on earth it's not the case and um have a little empathy for yourself because the reason you're doing it, even though there's this massive cognitive dissonance and you hate yourself for it, there's a reason you're doing something that you hate yourself for, right? And it doesn't justify everything, but it does mean there's something there. And it's like uh, you were saying earlier, it's a glaring sign that something needs to change. So try to be curious rather than mean. And then I'd say tell someone, you know, even if it's not, if it's a coach or therapist, great. But if it's just a friend, someone you can trust, tell someone I've had clients tell me things like they've been stealing from grocery stores or whatever and then once they tell me something shifts for them it's like it's real now and then also mm -hmm. someone that responds to them and they're not like because whenever they tell me those things they're never like oh my gosh what are we gonna do they just you know they're like oh okay it's all right you know mm -hmm. and then you see someone react that way you realize oh maybe i deserve a second chance that i can get better so that's what i'd say awesome it's a really cool message. Really helpful yeah. as well. Thank you. What would you say? Yeah. A lot of the similar things that that you just said. I said we, yeah, we got the benefit do... of going first. No, that's all good. Like we yeah. we all do shameful shit. Something else that I would I would be as much as possible. This could be a time to lean into outcome based thinking. Yeah. So just adding. Like, what will the outcome be of adding a whole heap of extra guilt and shame on top of what you're already experiencing? It's highly likely that the accumulation of shameful, guilty, or just negative, hard to deal with emotion has led to the situation that we might be currently experiencing. So if we want the outcome to be being able to heal from that, being able to move forward from that, being super self-critical and adding more shame and guilt is not a step in the direction that we're trying to go. So if, right. if we look, 
if the outcome is that we want to be better, if the outcome is that we don't want to feel this anymore, if the outcome is that we want a new life, a new dynamic with food, then, you know, is, is, and I, I don't want to say is feeling guilty and shameful helping because sometimes we can't help what we feel, but right. it it's, it's almost like, could be beneficial to look at how we respond to those feelings of shame and guilt. So responding to those feelings of shame and guilt very tactfully in a yeah. way that doesn't compound the problem. I love that. Yeah. It's almost like you have shame and guilt and sometimes you, there's something you could do to get rid of that, but you can kind of put it in a corner and then be like, well, that's there. What are we going to do? And something you are saying, I had an idea and, I'm mean, trying to be careful when I say this because it's going to sound almost a little cruel, but I think shame and guilt and those self-hatred, self-deprecating things that we say to ourselves during those moments, it makes us feel pain and it makes us feel bad. And I think sometimes it feels like a punishment. And then there's this, it feels like, well, I'm punishing myself so hard so then I can keep going. I don't know. I think that that's why whenever I did something bad, I would like punish myself a lot. And the problem with that, I know where it's coming from, but it doesn't change the behavior. And really like what's what you need to do is stop this behavior that's harming you and the punishment and shame. It feels like it's almost you're suffering and it's not justifying it. I don't know. Hopefully people are like highly triggered, but it's not changing anything doing it. You're just suffering and then doing it. And you're probably doing it partly because you're suffering, right? And it's driving you to that behavior. So there's so many, like the guilt and shame, it's it's not only not helpful, it might be creating more of the behavior itself. Hmm. Uh, something that an old friend used to tell me about cycles of, of worry and anticipating things and just stressing myself out came to mind as you were saying that it's like these cycles getting into these cyclical emotions and and these things that just build on on each other it's like a rocking chair it'll give you something to do but it's not going to go anywhere <laughs> yeah that's great i love that rocking <laughs> chairs are so fun i don't have one but there's this chain uh in america called cracker barrel it's like this uh, like very southern restaurant that they have all i've been there yeah okay. yeah <laughs> huge <weird>. fan <laughs> okay yeah like southern cooking whatever but they always have i don't know if they still do but they used to have rocking chairs outside of the porch so you could just sit and chill at a rock <laughs> but they are fun and they do give you something to do <laughs> yeah. yeah big fan of rocking chairs on yeah, that note mm -hmm. shall yeah. we wrap we'll it up you guys yeah, I go. Um, where can people find you out, Marcus? Strong Not Starving podcast and Kane Coaching on Instagram. And for the people who are hearing this on the Strong Not Starving podcast, where can they go to find you, Jacqueline? Yeah, you can find me at Binge Breakers podcast and Binge Breakers on Instagram. I think it's Binge Breakers underscore bulimia. Um, you can find me at those places, the website, bingebreakers.com. It's all just Binge